chapter 7, part 2. We will finish the book of Micah one way or another tonight, and we will be done with this big little book. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through this big little book, the book of Micah. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. So review and introduction, verses 8 through 10. Some of my favorite in the whole Bible. Do not rejoice over me. My enemy, when I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her, who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. So do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Remember, these are the people. This prophecy is going to the people that Micah had compared to the king, the wicked king Omri and Ahab, which would include by default Jezebel, some of the worst of the worst of all time. And because they had been so bad, these other nations had become empowered at the Lord's bidding to overthrow, to, to take captive Israel and even Judah and and, and to afflict them. And so these are the worst of the worst. And we've read some pretty gloomy prophecies. But now, here's the idea. The worst of the worst, in spite of their profound and detrimental failure, in spite of the humiliation exacted on them by their enemies at the bidding of God, Micah warns those enemies you better not rejoice because of Israel's condition. And here's why. Because they're going to be back. They're going to come up again. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Don't you rejoice. Syria, Babylon, whoever you may be, don't you rejoice too quickly because I'm going to get them back, and, and you, you're going to understand. You, you're going to have to understand that it wasn't you that did this to them. I allowed this to happen. So, in other words, you see me now. This is what Israel's saying. You see me now at my worst, on my knees, in the dark, but you need to know this is not a permanent condition. My God is going, going to lift me up and shine his light on me. And I just think that's just phenomenal. I can relate. Maybe you can. There have been times in my life when I was down, it looked like for the count, never to come back. I was surrounded in, by darkness, and, and, and I understood the problem was not God. The problem was me. It's kind of like Jonah running, you know. The problem, guys, it's not you. It's me. And, and I've understood that before. And, and, but here's the deal. If I can ever get realigned, like Jonah praying in that fish, if I can ever get aligned back up with God, Everything's going to be okay. Don't you rejoice against me, O oh my enemies. When I fall, I shall arise. I may be in the darkest night, but I promise you he's going to shine a light on me and the darkness is going to disappear. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful prophecy that's relatable to us all? He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. 
here's the idea. I know it's me. I've sinned. And I will accept my correction. The Lord loves those whom he chastens. He, he, and don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Remember Psalm 51, and, and this, this is one of the great ones. This is after David had been busted for the Bathsheba affair and the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Uh, look, look at this, Psalm 51. We'll just kind of go through it. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my trans, my, notice this, blot out my transgressions. Do you see how David is owning it? My transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, that's a dual knowledge, you know and I acknowledge, I am with you in that I now know, I recognize, I see my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, which is a profound statement because he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, which he obviously sinned against them, but he's making the point ultimately it's an offense to you. Why? Because I was in a covenant relationship with you. And he still is. I'm in a covenant relationship with you and I misbehave. I acted outside of my covenant rights before you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. This evil. I've done this evil that you may be found just when you speak. Just when you speak. You're, you're just in what you've done to me and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I've, done the, I've had this problem all my life. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, uh, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Uh, I, I, I want to continue. It's just so good. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, one that doesn't wander off. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. That's powerful. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure design. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, the burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then shall offer, and they shall offer bulls on your altar. In other words, let's get the inside cleaned up first. David owned his sin. He he took ownership of it. It took him a while. It, it took a prophet's bony finger in his face, Nathan, saying, Thou art the man, you're the one. But eventually he owned it. And Micah knew, like David knew, God's people will stay in that low place. They'll stay in that place of judgment until God pleads 
your case and executes justice for you. And that's what he says. And for him to do so, they had to own their transgression, own their sin, humble themselves and admit it. I've sinned. That was the first step. Repentance is always the first step to getting right with God. Always. 4,000 years of waiting on Messiah. And then Mary becomes pregnant. She has the baby Jesus. We see him a little bit at two years of age. We see him at 12. He's gone. We, we really don't get much about him until he's 30. And when he's 30, he spends some time in, in, in the wilderness. And he spends some time in prayer and fasting. And he comes out of there and he's charged, man, with supernatural power. The, the, the Spirit of God's on him. He goes straight to a synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. And he sent me to heal the broken. He just goes into this amazing, here's my platform. This is what I'm running on right here. Here's who I am. This is what I do. He, he announces that. He says, this day is this word fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody in the synagogue wanted to kill him, man. They just wanted to throw him off of a cliff. And he passed through them supernaturally. And he goes off. And then he comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom. First thing out of his mouth, repent. Change your way of thinking. Change the way you are looking at everything. Change your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts. You've got to shift. That's the idea here. In other words, for God to plead your case and execute justice for you, you've got to humble yourself. Let that relationship be restored. That's the way you get the joy of your salvation back. Oh, it's always so quiet in here on Wednesday nights. Now, the offenses with God, even in David's case, listen to G. Campbell Morgan. He said this, herein is discovered the difference between remorse and penitence. In remorse, a man is sorry for himself. He mourns over his sin because it has brought suffering to him. In penitence, he is grieved by the wrong sin has done to God. He yields his personal suffering in the confidence that by it, God is setting him free from sin. Isn't that good? That's so good. He says, he will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. So you're back on your feet, and here comes the light. He reveals, this is powerful. He, he reveals to the enemy that God's people were not right. And the enemy understands that's the only, now, after the restoration, the enemy is looking on and saying, now I understand how I beat them. They were out of alignment with their help, with God. That's The enemy understands this. Now I know why I beat them. But now I see their God's different. They acknowledged their sin. I heard them say, against you and you only have I sinned. But then their God forgave them and restored them. What kind of God is this? That's why, that's why the psalmist up here, David, was saying, 
He says, the, 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 the backslider is going to understand something. And the, the sinner, the pagan, the one that doesn't believe, they're going to understand something when they see what you do to me. When I humble myself before you and they see what you do to me, it's going to create a curiosity. The light is going to shine not only on me, but on them. What kind of God is this? God's people are becoming a witness in their restoration. God can even redeem our backsliding and use it for His glory and use it for His goodness. Now, don't get any wild ideas because it can be very painful, very, very painful, a lot of damage done. But the idea, the idea is still there. God, it, it, What a God, huh? Right? He can redeem our backslidings, our mistakes, our failures, our outright sin. You know, we, we, we don't like to say sin. We say mistakes and issues and all that. But, like, sometimes it's just straight up sin. You know, we're just, it's just sin. Just, it's, it's messed up. And he can redeem even that. It's amazing. He can redeem even our backsliding. What a testimony to the power and greatness of God's redemptive power. Because he can take you from the pain of the shame and the guilt and the damage and restore the joy of your salvation like a new convert. You know, Naaman had that leprosy, type of sin, dipped seven times, comes up, skin like a baby's. Like a baby's. God can restore, man. God can can bring you back to the joy of your salvation. When you first got saved, you're all fired up. Yes. You're like Edward Evangelist, evangelizing to everybody, witnessing to everybody. You got a track, you're, you're a track carrying person, track, you put tracks on windshields, stuff like that. I don't know if people do that anymore, but I, I so occasionally I get a track on a windshield, you know. Or they I tell you the, the 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 place I find tracks more than anything is in a men's urinal. Is that TMI? I'm not online. That's where they put them, right? They put them right, put them where the, some guy, some random, not me, but some guy is seeing them. I heard about this. Anyhow, so he can restore to you the joy of your salvation that would make you do something like that, right? Uh, first Monday prayer in October. First Monday prayer in October, this, this next first Monday, we're focusing in on prodigals. Prodigals, pe- people that have lost their way. They once walked with God, and now they're not. And I'm going to tell you, these cities are filled with them. There's thousands of them. Walked with God, faithful to God, got blown off course. Something happened. Bomb blows up in their life. They hit an iceberg, man. Their Titanic sinks, and they're just, they've lost their way. They've lost their way. Thousands of them. We're praying because God can redeem even the backsliding of the backslider. Bring them in, restore them, and use their testimony to bless somebody else. Come on now. So we're going to focus on prodigals. We're believing God for a mighty outpouring. And in November, the first two Sundays, we're going to have with us uh, our, our friend Charlie, 
He's going to be with us. Uh, some of you remember uh, Charles O'Rourke. Charlie's going to be here those first two Sundays, and I'm excited because we're going to have an outpouring. And can I just say something like crazy, ridiculous? I'm gonna say, I'm, you're going to look at me like I'm nuts. Like I've already said things that you've looked at me like. I mean, but I believe in a couple weeks or maybe it stretches longer, we could have a hundred soul revival in this church in the month of November. You know, which, which we would really have a problem because we don't have that many seats. But what a great problem to have. We could have a hundred soul revival, brand new people, and it's a perfect time as we're going into our seven ministry that's going to be kicking off in January, recovery ministry, et cetera. So just amazing. So first Monday night prayer, we're, we're believing God for prodigals. Verses 11 through 13. we got to get through this. In the day when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. In that day they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, from the fortress to the river, from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. In the day when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. So when, when that time comes where Israel is going to be restored, God's going to send out a call far and wide to gather and restore his people. Now, again, there's an immediate application, intermediate application, and on down the road. Ultimately, Israel will be restored. Paul would say that all of Israel will be saved. We've talked about that. This reaches deep into the millennial reign of Christ. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it. When God gathers Israel for restoration, they will come to a desolate land, ruined because of the judgment of God on the sin of his people. But God's going to do a work. Other prophecies talk about that. Let's move on. 14 and 15. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, who dwell solitarily solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them wonders. Shepherd your people with your staff. So after God's people are brought back to the place they belong, they're lovingly going to be cared for by the Lord himself. The Lord shepherds and feeds them. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's an application there for us all. When we get back, he shepherds us. When he gets us back to that relationship, he shepherds us and he feeds us. That whole 23rd Psalm comes into play. Shepherd your people with your staff, thy rod and thy staff. So there's there's a, a, an understanding of rescue with the staff, the rod, and the crook, there's the understanding of prodding and correcting and sometimes hitting a little bit. It's, it's the idea of, of the shepherd shepherding the sheep. And, and then he says, as in the days of old, now that's going back, he mentions it, uh, th this idea of when you came out of the land of Egypt. So there was a time when God's people enjoyed that kind of close relationship with the Lord as their shepherd, 
And he's saying, I'm going to restore that previous relationship or a relationship like that previous one we enjoyed. And he's going to show them wonders, wonders like the kind that manifested when the people followed him out of the land of Egypt. They only got out of Egypt because of the wonders. And the wonders are signs, miracles, his strong right hand. God got them out of Egypt and into the promised land. You just go through that that exodus and you go through their wandering in the wilderness and you go through their entering into the promised land eventually and it's filled with wonder. It's amazing. And and that's what he's saying. He said, "I'm going to I'm going to bring you to a place as the days of old when you came out I believe in a God that still does signs, miracles, and wonders. I believe that early in my life and early in my walk with God when I was a new convert and that zealous guy, but I want to go down. I want to be the old guy believing it and talking about it and saying, yes, God can do it even today. Even today, and I'll get into that a little bit here in just a minute. Uh, 16 and 17. Then the nations, the nations shall see. Here we go, just a witness to the nation. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. You know, that, that's the idea, that tongue. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Right? I would tell you a joke. I'm not online, but one of the wild boys told me a joke a long time ago. It's so funny. I can't tell it, though. Uh, It's not a bad joke, but I probably shouldn't say it. Never mind. The nation shall see and be ashamed. When Israel is restored to the land and enjoys this restored relationship with the Lord, then those who oppose God's people will see how wrong they were to fight against Israel. And it says they'll be revealed for, that's the idea, they'll be revealed for who they are all alone. These nations, they were snakes. They were snakes all alone, like the snake in the garden. That, that terminology, lick the dust of the earth, that's when Satan was, you know, defeated. <laughs> that's right, disarmed and defeated and crawled on his belly, right, and ate the dust of the earth. That, that's the image here. I mean, that's the terminology. It's, going, it's painting a picture back to Genesis. So it, that, that snake is the one that's saying, God didn't say that. It's that cajoling. And you remember Jezebel going back to Omri and, and then Ahab and Jezebel. You know, hey, just, just uh, you know, don't worry about what the word says. You can, you can join in the festivities of the... The Astra worship and uh, the Baal worship, it's no big deal, not a problem. Don't worry about all the perversion that goes along with it. We've already seen, Micah refers back to Balaam. Balaam was like, hey, here's how you can get the people cursed. Just get them to all intermarry with these, these people of other religions. And before long, they're, they're just living the high life, living their best life, Mardi Grawing it up, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and going to church, and it's not going to work. That kind of curse uh, is what had plagued them, 
And so now he's saying, when I restore you, when you get back to me wholeheartedly and I restore you and all that, you're going to see, they're going to understand they were snakes all along, crawling out of their holes. They're revealed. Now you can see them. It's finally exposed. They're, they're afraid of God because you proved to them that they can never, ever win when they come against you. They can never get the upper hand. Do you hear that? They are afraid because now they know when you're in right relationship, if God is for us, who can be against us? When you're in right relationship, you're the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, and on and on and on. Jesus would say, you'll take up serpents. They will not harm you. You tread on scorpions. It's not going to bother you. The idea is... You have been blessed because of your relationship with God. There's a beautiful thing. Winston Churchill said this, Few things are more exhilarating than being shot at with no result. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the enemy comes at you with everything he's got. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What's going on with you? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and in the end, you come out on the other side. Blessed. More blessed than ever. It's amazing. When I was a kid, I, I heard my grandparents say stuff like this. It's almost, it's almost not fair to bring a kid into this world. It's so bad. When we had kids, I heard my parents say the same thing about our kids. They're so beautiful, but... You know, it's almost not fair to bring these kids into this world. It's, uh, here's the idea. I was born in the Bible Belt in the South in a conservative Christian family. And those things were said because my parents and especially my grandparents, they had seen the world change so drastically from being, you know, a Christian world, quote, unquote, safe world for their Christian kids and grandkids to grow up in to one that had become quite dangerous and a threat. And now that our kids have had kids, and we're grandparents, um, what my parents and grandparents thought, you know, had happened to the world is certainly mild compared to what's happened, you know, now. And, and honestly, I have found myself wondering over there like, oh, man, you know, it's too bad. And I understand, so I understand the sentiment of that, but the truth is the world has never been a safe place. We, we had this illusion. It was never a safe place for us, for our kids. The Bible says here's what's in the world. This is all that's in it, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You, you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig, right? And it's all enmity against God. The world system hates and has always hated God. But here's what I got excited about. If we raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. We raise them to fear the Lord, raise them to respect and honor the word of God, and, and they're filled with Holy Ghost power, 
They're walking in the word, walking in the words of the covenant. The truth is this. It's not fair to the world to bring our kids into it because they are powerful. They are, and so are you. Quit thinking the world's so bad, I need to go hole up in a cave somewhere. Jesus said in the Roman Empire, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as we go, the power of God goes with us. We used to sing it like we believed it. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Boy, we used to sing it fast too. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm way high. Satan will have to flee. Got to go to falsetto. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on his great name. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, we have. Come on, tell me. Tell me who can stand before us. I love our children's ministry, and one of the reasons why is because we're putting the word of God in them. You need to understand who you are. You're a child of the king. Everywhere you walk, you have authority and power in Jesus' name. It's not fair what you bring into the world. The devils can't resist. They can't resist. They can't. They cannot. They can try, but they can't. They can't when you go in his great name. Amen? They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. They're like, oh, there's power. And, and, and even when they fail, God loves them. They repent. He restores them. And they're the same. They're just as powerful on the other side of the fall as they were before. It's not fair. It's not fair. Grace is not fair. And the devil understands that. It's not fair. Don't let them get back up. You know God will forgive them. Isn't that what Jonah's complaint was? We went through the book of Jonah. I didn't want to preach to him. I knew you'd forgive him. That's how the devil is. I I know you'll forgive You'll forgive him. You'll restore him. They'll have authority over me again. I know it. I know it. So they'll lie to us. You'll never make it. You've gone too far. You can never get back up. You know how bad you've done. You'll never. And God's like, hey, rejoice not against me, oh, my enemies. When I fall, I shall arise. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be up again. We used to sing that too. Just you wait and see. Mm. Woo. Man, I've, as they say in the business, I've done preached myself happy. Sometimes I like to drop a cliche every now and then. Verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. And here's the idea. It's not about you. It's not because you're just all that. It's because you're in a covenant relationship with God. God sworn some things. And we have a greater covenant than that that he's talking about there. We have a covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus. Not animals, not blood of bulls and goats, but in the blood of the lamb, the, the, the spotless lamb of God. And, and he sworn some things. And, and because of that blood, what he has sworn to us, because of that blood, he swears 
all you got to do. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll just turn back to me, you just turn back to me, I can restore you. And the, there's nothing the enemy, and the enemy is going, what kind of God is this? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. It's just, Micah's just, now he's just piling on and just glorifying God. Micah saw that God's forgiveness was so great that it can't even be compared to what often passes as forgiveness among men. James Montgomery Boyce says this in reference to this, this idea of who, who is a God like you. It is a theme verse and appropriately ends the book, for it is a play on Micah's name. Micah means who is like Yahweh. So the whole book is named after this theme, who is like God. You just absolutely blow it. And he has the audacity in the enemy's opinion to forgive you and to raise you back up. But in the believer, the child of God, he has the mercy Woo. and the compassion to forgive me and to raise me back up. He delights in mercy. It makes him happy. He delights. Thinking of a song, but I shouldn't sing it. About a Sugar Hill gang. I should not sing it. I should not. I should not sing it. He delights. He just delights. It's a part, it's party time. When he delights, he delight, he just delights in mercy. He's isn't that what the prodigal son's father did? Kill the fatted calf. We're gonna have a party. This party, why? Older brother's like, he blew everything, blew all the money, disrespected you, charged up the Amex, messed everything all up. He's horrible. And he's like, oh, my son who was dead is alive. He's home. Let's have a party. Kill the, put the ring back on it. Here's the credit card. Here's another credit card, son. Put the sandals on his feet. Here's the robe, son. You're clothed in my righteousness now. You're back in the home. You get everything you lost. You're back in charge, son. You're not one of the servants. You up here with me, son. Let's have a party. It's, he delights in mercy, the prodigal son. It is about all the characters involved, but, but when you focus in on the father, man, it's just phenomenal. The father. I mean, we look at the prodigal all the time, sometimes the older son, but the father, he just blows my mind. Woo. Let's have a party. My son has come home. Beautiful. Beautiful. He delights. He will, again, have compassion on us. God's people once knew his compassion, but they resisted and rejected it, and now they're going to know it again. You ever been there? You resisted and, and, and spurned, you know, resisted, pushed it away. Nah, I don't need that. I'm having fun. I don't want to think about that. You resisted. Then you hit that place, your bottom. You turn to the Lord, and he's still there. You ready? 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. His compassion. Beautiful. And he says this. He's going to uh, cast all our sins to the depths of the sea. He's not going to hold it against us. God's forgiveness goes all the way. He doesn't say, I forgive you, but in his compassion, he does away with our sins. He casts them into the depths of the sea. One writer said he puts no fishing sign up there. His compassion is shown in that the Lord will get, listen to this, will give truth to Jacob. So they're getting his mercy, yes, but they're getting the truth. And, you know, truth is only revealed as an act of his mercy and kindness. In other words, when we're deceived, when we're walking in misunderstanding, false religion, false doctrine, misconceptions from the Scripture or from a religion that's outside of Christianity that perhaps we're following or our own ways, right? When we're deceived, God could just leave us, you know, like, fine. My own story, when I walked away, in spite of I was all that credence I gave earlier, I was born in the South to a conservative family, uh, you know, in church, love, and and still, all that's in the world got a hold of me, and I walked away. And when I walked away, I got deceived, lost sight of truth. Not only did God have compassion on me and forgive me, but He said, "Are you ready to learn some truths about me now?" Let me show you my truth. Let me reveal myself to you. So not only does he just have compassion, he increases your understanding of truth. Isn't that beautiful? Now you know about his mercy and compassion, but you can learn so much about him, his mercy and his pardon, the depths of his love. He just starts showing you truth. How do you, how, what, what am I to do, God? When I came back to the Lord, I took all my preconceived truth, emptied out my truth box, put it down, and I said, now, God, you fill it up because I've been dumb. And we started all over from scratch, filling the truth box. Maybe somebody needs to dump their truth box and start all over and let God's mercy and compassion begin to show you some truth. He said, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So concluding the prophecy, Micah saw the future work as a continuation of what he started in the past. Micah knew that, you know, a lot of times what we end up doing is we glorify the past. I've already said it, like we think the world that was was a, a, a better world, an easier world to raise kids in. And I get it, you know, in the last days perilous times will come. Like I know it gets worse and worse. I get that. But sometimes we have some kind of delusion uh, that it's, it's, uh, it was easy then and it's hard now. Brother Tenney used to call that, people talk about the good old days, D-A-Z-E. The good old, like that's a days. The good old, you're living in a days. They, they weren't, you know, Brother T was like, I lived in those days. They weren't as good as they're making them out to be, you know. And so the good old days. But what we end up doing is we think of, of saints from yesteryear, some of the heroes of the faith that we know of, and we're like, oh, oh, they were so awesome. 
you know, they just lived for God and trusted God and and God just came through for them. It was awesome. They never made mistakes or they never had problems like we have today. But if you really dig into the history, you find out, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that about Sister Dumaflachi, you know. I had no, are you serious? And I've lived long enough. I'm 56. I've lived long enough going to some funerals, had conversations, and, you know, People spilling, the old old people spilling the beans on DH, you know, saying, well, you didn't know about so-and-so. Well, I sure didn't. Wow. Well, I'm just saying, you realize. And it's a relief, kind of, you know. You know, like, oh, well, you know, that was her third husband. That's the only husband I ever knew for 40 years. Yeah, well, she was a tiger. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm hungry. I don't <laughs> right. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me right now? <laughs> yeah, what do you sing to that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Why? I don't know what's happening. Somebody stop me. Get a musician up here quick. Um, well, that's the book of Micah. Isn't that beautiful? That it's all summed up in who is like our God. That, that's really the title of the book. Who's like our God? Nobody's like our God. Nobody's like our God. Some of the enemies that have come against you, they're just hoping you don't realize God can restore you, get you back up again. Those enemies are trying to keep you low, keep you down, keep you inactive because they know if you ever reactivate, God's going to pour some truth in you. God's going to do a work in you. Man, I just have felt that all night tonight. The, the enemy doesn't want you to realize. There are there are people that are in ministries all across this Bethesda Church. I mean, people involved, leading up ministries, doing a great job. And if you only knew the seasons where the enemy was saying, you'll never, ever rise above this. You're, you're stuck here. You've blown it at such an early age. You'll never, you'll, and just that persistent, just you'll never, you'll, understand, let that be revealed for what it is. That's a snake lying to you, telling you what they don't want you to know. Who is like our God? Man. Allah? Oh, no. The only guarantee you got is you go out as a martyr. You're going to make it. You, you, get, you get the girls. You get the glory. You get it all, but, but you got to blow yourself up. You got to go down as a martyr. Uh, that's precocious, you know, like, who can know? All the other world religions, like, nobody knows for sure. It's, man, it's a hard road, and you just, you just never know about, oh, God. Who's like God? Nobody. The one true and living God, full of compassion and mercy, and uh, one who 
did what it took to redeem us, paid the price himself, who is like our God? Nobody. It's, it's just the snakes need to shut up. You just need to shut up, crawl back in that hole you came out of. You need to understand my God has a plan for me. He's not forgotten me. He's not abandoned me. He's on my side. He's for me. And what you see, me at my worst, it's me. It's me. It's, it's my fault. But don't rejoice because I have bowed the knee and I have called on his name. And he is here restoring me even now. Glory to God.